0: What a great day! And Eric and Jaslyn, congratulations, Eric. Where, where's Eric sitting? Where's, there. Did you translate your dad right? <laughs> here, did he? I I would not have. <laughs> I would have made it up. Whatever you want to say. Um. We are in a series going through the book of Hebrews and looking at how the writer or the preacher of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is greater than the old system and the old ways. Um, one of the things I think we all understand in our culture is contracts. Every one of you has entered into a contract. Most of you have probably entered into a contract that at some point you wanted to get out of. But we live in this contractual culture where we have contracts for so many different things. If you buy a house, there is a mound of paperwork that you sign your name to in these contracts saying that I'm going to agree to this and this other party is going to agree to this. If you buy a a phone, even, there is a contract that you enter into and they say here, you sign this contract for two years And then a year into that contract, we're going to put out the newest, greatest phone that makes you want to break the contract so that you can get the new one and lock you into two more years of a new contract. And so we understand contracts really well, but there is a difference. In the Bible, it talks a lot about covenants. And contracts and covenants are very similar, in that both parties of the contract or the covenant are entering into this agreement with specific terms. For a contract. What it's saying, though, is that I am entering into this contract with the understanding that I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and the other party is going to do this, 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 and this. And with a contract, if one party breaks the terms of the contract, the contract is then void. Now, there are repercussions for breaking the contract But with one party breaking the terms of the contract, it becomes void. With a covenant, it's a little bit different. Both parties are entering into this agreement with terms of the agreement. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and you will do this, this, and this. But what you're saying in a covenant where it's different than a contract is regardless of what the other party does, I will uphold my end of the covenant. And whereas contracts are sealed with a signature, a covenant is sealed with a symbol. And so we agree to these terms and we say, here's the deal, we're going to enter into this covenant regardless. That's why in a marriage we say, for better or for worse. I take you for better or for worse saying that I'm going to uphold my end of the covenant regardless. And I think one of the things that's really interesting, even in our culture today, that at a marriage, the bride and groom don't actually sign anything. The preacher or the officiant signs something saying they were witnessed this, that they performed this, that there are other parties around, but the actual bride and groom don't sign anything. What they do is, is they trade symbols. These rings are a symbol of the covenant we're making, this promise to one another. And so covenants are talked about a lot throughout Scripture. One of the most powerful or famous in all of Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 15. And it's with a man named Abraham who God has called to leave his family to go to a land he doesn't know. He's made him some promises. And he continues to promise. It's called the Brit Ben Habiterim. And it means the covenant of the pieces. And so when they talk about covenants in Hebrew culture, they talk about cutting a covenant. But there's a reason. So turn with me. Genesis 15, starting in verse 8. But Abram said... Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? He's referring to the land that God has promised him, the descendants he's promised him. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. So, God, through Genesis, basically 12 through 17, is entering into this covenant with Abram. And he says, you're going to bring these animals, you're going to cut them in half, and you're going to put the pieces on each side. Typically, they would do this in what's called a wadi, basically a ditch. And they would put each piece here so that the, the blood from the carcasses would drain down into the center. And to enter into this covenant meant that both parties would walk through what was the blood path. They would walk through in bare feet this blood path saying they agreed to terms of the covenant. And if they did not fulfill their terms in the covenant, you Can do this to me. In other words, if I don't fulfill my promises that I am making in the covenant, you can cut me in half and walk through the blood. And so Abram is in this place. He's asked God, How do I know that you're going to give me possessions? How do I know that you're going to give me land? How do I know that you're going to give me the descendants? How do I know that Messiah is going to come from you? And he said there's there's some terms of this covenant, and you see them in different places, but overall this covenant says on Abram's part that you will be obedient to God and that you will be blameless in his sight. Abram, here's your deal. You be obedient and follow me, and you be blameless in my sight. And for God, the terms of the covenant are, are I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you descendants, and out of you is going to come Messiah. That's the terms of the covenant. Now let's enter in, and we're going to walk through this blood to seal the deal. It's going to be a symbol of the covenant that we're making, a symbol of the sign of the promise. And so in verse 17, it says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said "Your descendants, to your descendants, I will give this land... From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. He's going to give him this land. This is the promise that he is entering into. But what's really interesting in this part is Abraham's role. Because Abraham in this covenant should be entering into this blood path along with God. But something really interesting happened earlier in the story. It said, Abraham finds himself in this deep sleep, and this thick, dreadful darkness consumes him. It comes over him. Why is it that this thick, dreadful darkness comes over Abram? Well, I think it's because he understands the terms of the covenant. Here's what God is promising, but here is what you're promising that I will be obedient and I will be blameless in your sight. It says Abram is consumed basically with fear because he knows if he enters into the blood that he is as good as dead. But what happens is there's two things that pass through the blood path. One of them is not Abram. One it describes as a fiery torch. And we know from Scripture that God is described as a consuming fire we saw a pillar of fire that led Israel through the desert, and so we know a fire is representative of God. The other symbol in the blood is a smoking pot. Is there anywhere in Scripture that smoke is used to describe the presence of God? Remember Isaiah's vision as he's in the temple, and it says smoke fills the temple. The The presence of God on Mount Sinai, as he talks to Moses, this cloud comes down over, this smoke engulfs them. And so here, in this covenant that they are making, it's not Abram that enters in as both parties. It's God who says, not only am I going to stand in in my place, I'm going to stand in in your place as well. And if I don't uphold my terms of the covenant, and in fact, if you don't uphold your terms of the covenant, you can do this to me. And when Jesus comes to the end of his life, he's on the cross, he's dying for humanity, and he says, it is finished. I think what he's referring to is not just my life. It's the promise that was made thousands of years ago to a man named Abram in the desert. Where God said, if I don't uphold my Terms of the covenant, and you don't uphold your terms of the covenant, then you can do this to me. See, covenants are significant and they come out in scripture in so many different places. Here in Hebrews chapter 8, it talks about a new covenant, it talks about a new covenant that would be given. So now, The main point of what we are saying, verse 1 of chapter 8, is this. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it is necessary for this one to have something to offer. If. He were on earth, he would not be a priest. Why would he not be a priest? He's from the tribe of what? Judah. And the priests were from the tribe of Levi. So if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. He would, be, he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. And so you have this covenant And next week we're going to get into the tabernacle and and the the reality of it. But he talks about this old covenant as a shadow of what is to come. A shadow of what is to come. And the true tabernacle is this one that's been set up in heaven. And and so he's not saying true as in true and false. There's this false old tabernacle and there's this new true one. But he's saying um, the difference is reality and symbol. There's this true one that is the, re- the real tabernacle. And there's this old one that was a symbol pointing to the true tabernacle. So it's not true and false. It's reality versus symbolic. And you have these priests that come and offer sacrifices. And part of the, the, the Levitical priesthood was offering sacrifice. There are five Levitical offerings, basically. The burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. The the burnt offering was about consecration. It was about being set apart and being right with God. The peace offering was about fellowship or shalom with God, this connection, this intimate belonging with Him The grain offering was about worship. The sin offering was about reconciliation. The guilt offering was about restitution. And all of these offerings were made to be right with one. And understand, these aren't separate from the covenant that Abraham was given. This covenant that Abram was given has this law that's given to help form the people of God. It's not that there's two separate covenants. It's that the law is how God's people, these people of the covenant, these people that are set apart, these people of Abraham, are supposed to live. How they're supposed to interact with the world. How they belong to God. And so they're given these offerings. And one of the things that it says is that there's this new priest. And he says in chapter 7 that when there is a new priest, there needs to be a new law. Because this new priest is not in the Levitical tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's different. He has the ability to do something that the Levitical priest couldn't. And so here are these offerings that these priests give, but there's this new offering that has to be offered by this new priest. And so as he talks about the new covenant, he describes it this way. He points back to Jeremiah. In this passage we read earlier, this promised new covenant. So chapter 8, verse 10. This is the covenant. I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That this is the promise that is coming to the people. There's going to be a new covenant, a different covenant, a more perfect covenant. Not not that the old one was bad, but that this one is better. There's this new covenant that's coming. And one of the things I think is really interesting in the writer is is it's very Trinitarian in its focus. Because the first part is about what God is going to do in our hearts and minds through his spirit. And, And the second little segment is how he's going to relate to his people as Father. And then there's what the Son is going to do in forgiving the people. It's very focused on Father, Son, and Spirit here. And he says he's going to do something in their hearts and their minds. He's going to put their law, the laws, his laws, in their hearts. I'm sorry. He's going, I will put my laws in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. One of the things I think we, we do a lot as followers of Jesus is we focus on the outward. We we focus on modifying our behavior. Well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to be a good person. It means to show up at church weekly. It means that we're not going to drink. It means we're not going to commit adultery. Here are these things that we don't do, and it's very focused on outward behavior. And I think one of the worst things, and it's not that we don't need to focus on the outward behavior, because one of the worst things we do as followers of Jesus in a society, in a culture that seems to be stripped of morality and virtue is that we give this horrible testimony and witness of Jesus and what he's doing in our life. When they see greed and they see our anger, when they see prejudice, they see injustice, when they see um, sexual immorality, when they see all these things in our life, it gives a horrible witness. And so what we say as a church is we want to fix that. We want to modify our behavior. We want to make sure we look the part of follower of Jesus. We want to make sure the outside looks good. But where this new covenant begins is not on the outside with these stipulations, with these laws and changing behavior. Where this new covenant begins is in our minds and in our hearts. That it begins from the inside and goes out. See, we want to focus on the outside and then work inward. What God says He's going to do is start on the inside and work outward. And if you'll love me, if you'll commit to me, if you'll follow me, then I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to transform you, and we can try as much as we want, but it's God who transforms. And, and I wonder at different times, like how is your relationship with Him? Are you so focused on the outward appearance and what everyone else sees that you're neglecting the inside because what will happen inevitably is it will become a a desert and a thirsty soul. If you don't take care of you and your relationship with God, the outside will not be transformed. You can fake it. Trust me. All of us have been there where we're faking it, where we're dry and thirsty and hurting on the inside and the outside looks perfect and pristine. But what Jesus says is, I'm going to come in, I'm going to change your mind, I'm going to change your heart, and you're going to follow me. I'm going to help you love me. If you are a parent and your kids come home with a a bad grade on their report card, the thing you don't do is you don't sit them down and say, you need to fix your grade. You, you sit them down and say, okay, here, here's where your grade is. What's going on? Why are we there? What can we do to fix it? Because we have to back up and we have to get to the, the root, the foundation of the problem. We can't just fix the problem. We, we can't just change the, the outside. We have to work on the inside and transform that first. And so here's what I'm going to do for these people. I'm going to transform their hearts. I'm going to transform their mind. I'm going to transform their soul. And so we're going to begin with this new covenant. And in this new covenant, I will put my laws in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will not remember their sins. It's the promise of this new covenant. I remember back to our wedding, it was long a little bit longer than my sermons. <laughs> it, it really was, not, not even joking. But in, in our, our marriage, in our ceremony, we got to stand on this stage together, and we got to look each other in the eye. And Cammie's uncle did the ceremony. And he looked at me and he said, Gary, do you promise to love her? To care for her? To commit to her? To take care of her? To be her husband? To give yourself only to her? I said, absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt. And then he started repeating the same things to Cammy. Cammy, do you promise to do this for Gary? Do you promise? Do you promise? Do you promise? And she said, I guess I will. <laughs> but hey, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll take it. I'm, I'm not. not sure. I'll take it. <laughs> and then he looked back at me and said, "Do you promise to give your life to her as long as you live, becoming one flesh?" And he asked, "Do you have a symbol to seal?" this commitment, to seal this covenant. And we exchanged these rings. And we were entered into this covenant together of marriage, saying that regardless of what you do, this is my commitment to you. See, and one of the things that the Hebrew writer wants you to understand is this new covenant is a wedding, a beautiful ceremony. But in this ceremony, Jesus not only plays the groom, he's also the officiant presiding over the ceremony. And not only is he the officiant, and not only is he the groom, he's also the symbol of this covenant marriage. See, the writer gets to this point in Jeremiah, and the Hebrew writer agrees. And you imagine this ceremony with the bride, the church, standing right beside the groom. Do you promise to love and commit your life to her? Do you promise to allow her to fully know you? Do you promise to transform her heart and her mind? Do you promise to motivate her to love more deeply? Do you promise to forgive her sins? Do you promise to forget her infidelity? To which Jesus responds, I do. And then the officiant asks the question, do you have something as a symbol to seal this covenant? He says, I do. It's my life. And he seals it. On a cross and says, Here, here is the covenant. It's the symbol of my love for you. And then I think he turns to the bride and says, Will you commit your life to him? Will you give yourself fully to him? Will you follow no one else? Will you worship no one else? Will you let your life be consumed by Him? We do. We do. Do you have a symbol to seal this covenant? we do we do see those waters are so much more powerful than your past because they don't just transform it they don't just erase it they also transform your future they transform your mind and your heart as you follow Jesus. That is the beauty of those waters. That it's about this new relationship, this new life, this new covenant that we've entered into. That we've made, been made one with the promise Keeper. The promise keeper who from the very beginning in Abraham's covenant has said, I will take care of my people. And the cross is simply the place where God says, I have taken care of my people. It is my symbol. It has sealed it. And in baptism, that's why Paul talks about we enter into his death and are raised to new life with him. It's where this covenant is sealed. It's where we receive this gift of the Spirit. It's where our past is washed away. It's where new life begins. It's where hope is found. I want to ask this morning Have you lost sight of your promise? in the covenant that you made and focus so much on the outside and what everyone else sees that you've lost sight of your first love because it's so easy to do Jesus says come Come follow me. Give yourself to me fully and freely. And I'm going to give you life. I have this new covenant that I'm inviting you into. Come follow me. Father, today, we pray in this place that your spirit would change our hearts. It would change our mind. It would transform us be the people that you have called us to be. Father, may we in every single day give our life fully and freely to you. Believing, trusting in the power of the cross. Power of resurrection. As we enter into this covenant relationship with you. Father, thank you for your love, for your grace, your mercy. And we pray your blessing today on your church, your people. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. If you want to give your life to him today, if you want to enter into those waters, sealing this covenant being, restored being, made new come, now, come submit and give your life to him. But if we could pray for you in any way, um, we're going to have ministry staff, shepherds around this auditorium. We would love to pray for you, put our arm around you. If you have something that's a little more um, needs a little more attention, a little deeper need, um, we'll have a couple of our shepherds in the gathering. You can go there at this time as well. So whatever your needs st- come while we stand and sing. How beautiful the